All right, so we have been looking at Jesus 101. And what we have endeavored not to do is paint a picture of the Son of God who came and did his thing, and then from there he just sat back and chilled, and he's waiting for us to finish up and then come get us. We have not painted a portrait, endeavored not to paint a portrait of this historic Jesus. What we wanted you to understand is that we are on an interactive journey. That this whole thing about Jesus starting in the very beginning in the book of Genesis is a narrative, it's a story. And that story has now embraced us and we are walking in that story. My sister and brother-in-law were in South Africa in the early 1990s when apartheid ended. Segregation had become part of the whole fabric of South Africa in the colonial rule of the Dutch and the British. In the general election of 1948, apartheid became the official policy. Citizens were classified into four categories. Native, which was black, colored, which was mixed, white, and then Asian, which is Asian Indian. The residential areas were then swept and segregated, even by violence if necessary. In 1970, those who were black were then told they no longer had citizenship, and instead they were taken out and placed into ten separate tribal categories who then would become self-governing. They removed all of their citizenship rights. And during that time, they also then segregated education, health care, beaches, and all sorts of public services. The services that the blacks received was far inferior to that which the whites received. In fact, those who were non-whites suffered intensely. Then in 1994, for the first time, whites and non-whites were allowed to vote in a general election and apartheid began to die. And for the first time, those, in a long time, those who had, had been blocked from entering into society, into every realm, were allowed to go into, into society, into, into public service, into occupations which they were denied before. But understand that freedom given is not necessarily freedom delivered. And so my brother-in-law, Kent, said it was really unusual now all of a sudden to see those who were black servicing the community in places they were not allowed to before, and one of those was in the mail system, the postal system. He said it was, it was, it was really refreshing to see someone other than white delivering the mail, but he said the amazing thing is although they were given the rights to do that, they were given no resources. And so it was not unusual to see a mailman having to hitchhike to the places where he would deliver the mail. I want to propose to you this morning simply this, that freedom without resources is still bondage. Last week, Pastor Jason reminded us that the Son of God came to this earth, died for us to set us free. 
And as a way of review, I want to remind us, as we began this series several weeks back, we understood that the freedom we received, we also lost in that same time and in that same moment, that same place. This is our illustration for the garden this morning. It all started here. It all started when God said, let us make man in our own image. And in his image, we were created. How many were created in God's image? Okay. You were. What does that mean? It is both functional and relational. If you're created in Christ's image or in God's image, it simply means this, that we are to represent his loving and his authoritative dominion on this earth. We were set to rule in his stead. We are his image here to shape this world the way that he wanted it shaped. To validate that, to be able to accomplish that, is the relational part. He said, you will be my sons and my daughters. And there was this wonderful relationship, father and his children. In fact, to really be totally human is to function in that realm. To be totally human is to function as God's representative on this earth to help shape this earth in a wonderful, intimate relationship as his children. That is being totally human. But then there came this serpent who said, there is another ending you can consider. Instead of being a child who trusts, you can be a God who rules. And Adam and Eve said, sounds good. We could just do this without checking in. We, we can rule. But to rule without God's relationship is to create havoc within the creation. It is to take the center hub out. It is to misalign what God had designed. And what followed then was even the soil began to rebel and the animal kingdom began to rebel. That we began to blame each other for the problems that we faced and because we wanted to rule and we really wanted to rule, we would take our ruling seriously enough that we would inflict violence on others to get what we wanted. And that's what Adam and Eve discovered with their own children. Part of that, that, that mess up, that that. That alignment that went askew, part of that was that genders, male and female, would fight for power among themselves. And we would continually run from our Creator. But because of His great love, He would continue to run after us. And so, in an, ever, in an effort to restore what had been lost, He said, I will create a nation. This nation will be my Adam. This nation will have an intimate relationship with me. He called it Israel. And they will then achieve what I want, and they will rule on my behalf. Only they also thought that perhaps they should rule on their own and disconnected themselves from their relationship with the one who created them. So God said, I will become even more deliberate and more direct. So he said, I will create kings, and these kings will become my Adam. These kings will rule on my behalf. These kings will have an intimate relationship with me. Only those kings also wanted to rule on their own behalf. They had a lust for power and disconnected in relationship. And everything grew worse. And for 400 years, God was silent. And then one day in Jerusalem, an entourage from a Persian country an entourage that came with its own electoral college, with its own grouping of wise men responsible for electing kings. 
and anointing them as rulers, showed up in Jerusalem, and they said this, where is the one that is called the king of the Jews? After 400 years, they said there is another king. The king they would find in Bethlehem. That king named Jesus would have this intimate relationship with the father that would never end. And that king would rule even as the father designed for him to rule. He would always only do what the father told him to do when the father told him to do it. He'd only speak what the father said speak when the father told him to speak it. And he would rule on behalf and in the image of the father. His obedience would take him even to the place where the father said, for the sake of humanity, you must die. He said, but is there another way? If, is there another way that this cup would pass from me? And the father said, no, this is the only way. This is the way for humanity to come back to the ruling stages, back to what it's designed to be. And so he said, I will die. Well, the temptation of the garden and the temptation, you know, of the wilderness did not end. For even when he hung on that cross, the temptation was there. Oh, be a God and come down off of there. Don't be a son who obeys, but come down from there. You've saved others, save yourself. And yet he said, no, I will die. You say, well, that's just a horrible story. and it's, it's, it's a horrible ending. No, 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 no. Because watch. And the father sees this death and he says, that's what I'm talking about. One who will love me, one who will trust me even through death, and one who will obey me to the place that they will not question but will do and trust and obey. And therefore, because he did that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Satan, meet your new boss. For he is Lord, and you are not. For now, for now, when he designed at the very beginning, truly a human would rule in total obedience and relationship with God. And Jesus said, I'm that one. But then he turned to us and he said, now, I'm leaving you, but I want you to become that. I want you to become those humans who are totally human, those who are in intimate relationship with me and will obey me and will rule this earth. I give you the authority. Paul the Apostle, one of those who said, I'll do that describes the church this way in Ephesians, the third chapter, the 10th verse. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold, and circle that word manifold, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with what? Freedom and confidence. I met Pam, my wife, when we were in college. We actually ended up in the same musical group that traveled for the college. And for two years, we grew close in friendship. For two years, I was her confidant. I was her counselor about 
the relationship she, relationship she had with her boyfriend. For two years, I kept telling her, Pam, he's not treating you good. <laughs> Pam, he's not right for you. And he wasn't treating her well. It wasn't a, it wasn't a good relationship. And so for, for two years, I'm saying, it's not working, it's not working. And so my senior year in September, we again saw each other after summer break, and she said, I don't know what to do. I said, you've got to break up with this guy. So that day she did. That was September. In <laughs> <laughs> that was September. In June, we were married. That was September, and on that day was our first date, because it was God's will. <laughs> In December, on Christmas Day, I asked her to marry me. She said yes, and it was a really, a really wonderful feeling. When we got back to campus, we walked across campus, and she was flashing the ring, and we were walking around, and, and I loved it when we went by her former boyfriend, because we didn't say this, but the intent was there, and the image was there, which was, we belong to each other, uh-huh, it was there. <laughs> Want to sing it? And the intent was, I'm treating her better than you could ever want to. So now what was the reason for the design of the church? Why did God, what was his intent for us to gather and to be followers of his? What was the reason? It's because there are these earthly powers and these corresponding shadowy heavenly powers who create this, this, this look-alike culture and society who marginalize all those who don't meet its narrow bands of acceptance. And God said, I have come to confront them with my wisdom. And he says, my manifold wisdom, which means the multicolored wisdom. He said, that wisdom is this. Turn to the person next to you and say, that wisdom is you. You that aren't sitting next to someone, just act like they're there. Just there you go. The church is his wisdom. It's not because the church knows what to say. It's because who the church is. Men and women and children of every tribe, every tongue, every culture, every social strata who around this world are lifting up one voice to worship one God who say, we will be in intimate relationship with you and we will rule on your behalf and we will take dominion and we will take back what was stolen from us in the very beginning. We are the wisdom. In fact, what God is saying here through his scripture is this, that the church is a warning to spiritual rulers that their time is up, that Jesus is alive and he's Lord, that his community is alive and they have authority. And we are serving notice that we're taking back what belongs to us. But I believe there's a problem with us. And that problem is this, that although we think we have the freedom, we don't live it because we're not sure we have the resources. See, we think we come to Jesus so that we can escape the world. We come to Jesus because we're going to change the world. And there's a big difference. We are like 
we are like mailmen delivering good news. But we're not accomplishing it because we don't have the resources. So let me help us this morning, first of all, to understand this resource. And it's this, that we have the ability and the right to be a different person. Too often we come to Jesus. Chad, hand me that, would you? Everybody say hi to my son, Chad, who's visiting. Everybody say hi to Chad's girlfriend. I just love the fact that somebody likes him. Aaron, welcome. So we, we've got this deal. We come to Jesus and we think, okay, it's just a religious thing. And so we kind of wear this, this boasted note that says, I get to go to heaven, but I can still be mean and nasty. I'm not changing anything about me, but I, I'm, I got fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. I'm covered. I got it. Oh, that's wrong. Listen to what Paul the Apostle says to his church in Rome, or to, to, the, to the church in Rome. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. Everybody yell, by no means. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We have this mistaken thought that when we come to Jesus, we've still got all this sin stuff, and we still got a sin because the power is so great, and I can't give it up, and I'm just, I'm just burdened down by this thing, and I can't make it. No. When you put your faith in Jesus that he died and rose again, at the moment you put your faith in him, I don't know how it's spiritually transacted, but somehow we die with him in the grave. The old life is gone. It's not there. The old life is gone, and we will begin to live a new life. See, there are those who said, okay, so if I sin, then I get his grace, and his grace is so good. So if I want more grace, I should sin some more. And so if I sin some more and more and more, more grace, more grace, more grace, more grace, so I can still be mean and nasty, get more grace, this is a great thing. And he says, by no means. It actually means, what are you, stupid? You can't sin anymore. You shouldn't sin anymore because you have died to sin. Your old life was buried. Your old life is gone. Yes, when you came to Jesus and said, forgive me for my sins, he did but he also disconnected you from the old life. It is gone. You don't have to do that any longer. We are disconnected from our old lives. Paul goes on then to say these words about our disconnection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be what? Done away with. Now look, you may argue with this, but this is truth. You say, I don't feel it. I don't care what you feel. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick, meaning whatever you feel may not be accurate. The body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be what? Slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. We are freed from having to be gods in control. We are now free to be children who trust 
we can go back to the beginning. So I want to share with you something that, that Pam and I are, are actually involved in right now. It's become part of our focus in life and at this moment, and it, it really has, has taken a lot of our attention. About six weeks ago, or sorry, about six months ago, six months ago, we felt like God said, I want you to take this action. If you will take this action, this will be the result. To do that, it will take a faith walk and some work on your part, but this will be the result. So we said, we'll do this. And so we prayed, Jesus, we're on this journey with you. We'll do this thing. We haven't seen the result. We thought the result would be seen, it just normally should have been seen in one month, maybe two, maybe three, but it should have been here by now, and it's six months, and it's not here. So it was one of those moments when, when I got irritated with God, and I said, you know, I'm holding up my end of the bargain, where are you? You say you talk to him that way? Yes, very carefully, but I do talk to him that way. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm holding, where, why? What are you doing? What, what, what's happening? Are you getting all your attention to Don's sabbatical? Can you give me a little attention over here? <laughs> so Pam and I were asking God for understanding. That is code word for we were whining. <laughs> God, why, 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 why? We've done this and this is happening and you're not doing anything and we whine and whine. So we're in the midst of all of this about five weeks ago and I had a dream, and sometimes I have dreams that I know are not normal dreams. They're actually dreams that have to do with what's happening in the spiritual realm. It's just, it's scriptural. You can look it up. You'll see it. And so I was dreaming, and, and I was evidently in a place that was supposed to be my house, and I was in my house, and I was laying on the floor on some blankets. I don't know why, but that's where I was, and I looked over next to me, and what seemed to be like a sleeping bag or a pile of, of blankets, there was... They were laying next to me, and there was this little nose sticking out. I saw the nose, and I thought, that's strange. And then I just knew, and I said in my dream, Pam covered this up. I looked back, and this time I could see more of what was there because it came out about this far, and I could see its head, and it was a python. And I quickly covered it up. And as I covered it up, a voice said to me, in my dream, you can cut its head off. I woke up and I, I was shook because I, I understood. And so I didn't tell Pam anything. And I began to research what is called a python spirit. It is the root of the problem that Paul and Silas encountered in Philippians in Acts 16 from a fortune teller girl. This is a spirit that comes out of the Oracle of Delphi. She's a fortune teller and she's harassing the apostles. And so I began to research what this spirit is, and what I want to address to you this morning is what I think has been happening to us at this time. I first want to say that when we decide, any of us, to possess the freedom that Jesus has for us, this spirit very well can come along and try to choke it out of you. This this serpent, this spirit, has one goal, to take the resurrection life of Jesus and squeeze it out of you. Now, we know that Paul then cast the spirit out. 
And from there, you know the story. Everybody got really upset about the girl who can't tell fortunes anymore. They threw him in prison and, and had beaten them, and they were in stocks, and they sang at midnight, and God shaked the prison, and the jailer and his family became, came to know Jesus, and they were set free. This spirit may manifest itself through weariness, through fatigue, through confusion, through frustration. I'm not telling you if you have these now, it's a spirit, but I'm telling you the spirit can use that. His action in the church, in your ministry, in your finances, or in your home are felt as he begins to tighten his grip on people he surrounds. People will actually leave their circumstances because he manifests heaviness, oppression, depression, and pressure. And when the constriction gets stronger, the result many times is discouragement, factions, and even divisions. Families will split because it becomes so intense. The resurrection life is doubted. Dreams and hopes are squeezed out. Discouragement sets in. Depression is there. And there's even a physical sense that some will feel of choking on the neck or pressure along the chest. There will be financial struggles. This, this serpent will even squeeze out profits within your business and restrict your sales. The spirit's goal is to bring a loss of resources, and freedom without resources is bondage. So we began asking Jesus, and I talked to Pam, and we said, God, if this is it, if this is what you're revealing, we began to pray and say, God, cut off its head, cut off its head, cut off its head. And we kept praying, God, cut off its head, cut off its head, and, and nothing changed. So two weeks ago, I was on my way here in the morning, and I was driving up from our house, and I said, God, if this is us, tell us, and we'll change our life. If this is you, we'll just say, do what you want to do, because you are so great. But if this is the serpent, if it is this spirit, if it's this python thing, and it's winning, it can't win, it can't win, it's got to die, what do you want us to do? And so then I said this, God, how did Jesus kill that serpent? And I was expecting, as I was driving, some kind of metaphorical image, some kind of warfare image where he takes the sword of the spirit and cuts off his slimy neck or, or, or the rock of salvation crushes his ugly head. But what I heard clearly, as clearly as I've ever heard and understood the voice of God, took my breath away. I said, God, how did Jesus kill the serpent? And I heard these two words. He died. Because when Jesus died, he did not die into the evil that surrounded him. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died into the will of the Father. And at that moment, I felt like God said, you must die. So I talked to Pam, and so we began to pray. We said, we die to any control we have in this issue. We die to it. Our control is dead. We die, we let die any timeline. We let die any preconceptions. We let die any dreams and visions for this thing. We die to all of that, trusting that you will achieve something far better than I could ever dream up. Because your scripture says you're willing to give me more than I could ever think or imagine. So I'm going to die to all of this and let you take control 
and you kill this thing because I'm dying into you. And you see, only when you die are you eligible for resurrection. For Paul then goes on and says this, Romans 6, verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And I love that passage because it says this. He says, death has no mastery. That word mastery is important. That word mastery is the Greek word kurios, which means lordship. Death has no lordship over you. The greatest weapon that the serpent, that Satan wants to use in your life is death. Not just you die and never see God, but anything that has life, he wants to kill. I heard two guys talking the other day at the gym, and one of them said, hey, how's life treating you? The guy said, well, not bad, not bad. And I'm thinking, dude, life is good. Life always treats you good. It's the death thing and the deterioration thing that's the mess. And so this serpent wants to bring death to your family. He wants to squeeze out any wholesome relationships. He wants to bring death to your finances to squeeze out your finances. He wants, to, he wants to kill your business. He wants to kill your hope, your dreams. Some of you are just a shell of a person that you dreamed about before. You have let it go. You've become disillusioned. You said, no more. I can't do this anymore. And this whole thing is a religion for you just in case you'll make it to heaven. But you are absolutely miserable. You're being squeezed. We must now stand up as followers of Jesus, and we must say, I die to that. I want to borrow a couple guys. They don't even know they're going to come up here and help me, but Bert and Joe, get up here. Okay. Joe, you're the serpent. And he has no shoes on. Oh, that works then. Okay. Bert, you're a follower of Jesus. Okay? All right, stand in front of your brother. Don't face him. This is, and, yeah, let me get you right. There we go. Step in front of him. There you go. All right, squeeze him. <laughs> okay. Wait, okay, just act like you're squeezing him. Okay. <laughs> you can put him back down. All right. Hang on there. Hang on there. All right, here's the deal. Bert, you're being squeezed, buddy. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're getting squeezed. So at this moment, what I need for you to do, because he's squeezing out life, he's squeezing out family issues, he's squeezing out finances, he's, he's just making life miserable for you. I want you to say, my control is dead. My control is dead. My timeline is dead. My timeline is dead. My dreams and my visions are dead. Dreams and my visions are dead. I die completely to this. I die completely to this. And into your hands, God, I commit all of this. And into your hands, God, I commit all of this. Okay, now you're dying. So just kind of go underneath his squeeze. Come on down. There you go. Move over here. Now, stand over here because you just died. You don't even belong here. You died. Now squeeze. You got nothing, dude. Here's the deal. Evil cannot kill what's already dead. 
So when you say, I'm dead to that stuff and I'm alive in Jesus, I'm, I'm going to trust Jesus, he's got nothing to squeeze. Every day now, Pam and I have to say, God, whatever it is, we die. We die to that. We die to control. We trust you because you got the best things in life. He can't squeeze anything. Now, here's the good news. You don't get left just dead. But here's what the scripture says. Romans 6, 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. That's the deal. You now are alive in Jesus. That means that what was before is no longer, and you've got to know that. In fact, Paul the Apostle said, if you're going to understand this, you can't be conformed to the world which allows you to be squeezed. You must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to remember this thing. You just don't show up in Jesus and say, I belong to Jesus, and you don't get squeezed. No, you've got to say, wait a minute. I don't belong here anymore. I belong over here. So here's what Paul says, Romans 6, 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't hang out here. Do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have or shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. You live in an atmosphere of grace, Bert, which Grace means this, the ability to do everything God wants you to do, to raise a family, to run a business, to have finances, all of it's yours. It's all there. But you've got to count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ, which means this. The spirit over here will say to you while you're trying to do that, say to him, you come back here, you belong to me. Come here, you belong to me. Okay, now you've got a choice. You can either say, that guy's dead and I'm alive over here, or you can go back. What do you say? I'm dead to you. I'm dead to you. <laughs> you can say to him, all your friends are over here. Come on over. Your friends are over here. You used to have good times over here. No, oh, you're ad-libbing. Oh, you're yeah. good. <laughs> you're good. I know him. <laughs> <laughs> he knows him really well. He knows what'll work. What, <laughs> what do you say? You're dead to me. Say to him, you're going to come after him and attack his family if he doesn't come back. I'm going to attack your family. I know where you work. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? You're dead to me. You're dead to me. He's alive in Christ. Tell him that he can be just like God if he comes over here. You can be just like God if you come here. You're dead to me. Tell him, look at all the times that God didn't come through for him. Look at all the times God has not come through for you. What do you say? You're dead to me. We have got every day, and here's my assignment for you for these next two weeks. Every morning, get up and say, that's the old me. That's the dead me. And every time you hear a voice that says you have to go back there, or you're going to lose it, or he's going to squeeze the life out of you, you just say, no, 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 no. That's the dead one. Because evil can't squeeze and can't kill what's already dead. And then you say, no, but I'm alive in Christ. I don't belong there anymore. I am absolutely free. Thanks, guys. In a few weeks, we begin a series called Holy Spirit 101, called Activate. 
And in that series, we're going to talk about what it means to be alive in Christ and the power that is yours. But right now, for these next couple of weeks, I want you every day to say, that's the old me, that's the dead me, I don't belong there anymore. And I'm alive in Christ. Because we, we have a choice. We can either show up here on Sunday and study the image of the historical Jesus, or we can live life as the image of Jesus in intimate relationship with him to rule and to reign. We are on a journey with Jesus. We are his image, we are his power, and we will change the world around us. So now I want you to stand. And I have a declaration I want you to repeat with me. If you want to declare today that you will be dead to that and alive to Jesus, I want you to repeat this after me, if you will, and do it loudly, because we want the spiritual forces to look down and see the wisdom of God and say, oop, our time is short. Would you repeat after me? I declare this morning, declare this morning that, I that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live in control of my life, but it is Christ who lives in me. I declare to Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust you. When I feel squeezed, I will declare I am dead. When I feel overwhelmed, I will declare I am alive in Jesus. Sin and death have no lordship over me. Jesus is Lord of my life, and I submit to him. Now, Jesus, crush the serpent's head. I declare, and will continue to declare, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I am free. I am free. I am free. So be it. Now, some of you are pumped up like we just had a locker room speech, and you run out and you run into a 500-pound tackle. So here's what I want you to know. You've declared that, and now it will be tested. And Satan will not let you get away with this. So here's what you do. You keep reckoning yourself dead to sin, and alive to Christ by taking the Holy Scriptures and studying them every day because they are your breath, they are your life, they are your sword. Study them. If you don't know how, call the office. We'll get somebody with you and we'll teach you how. Secondly, find some others who believe as you do and pray together because prayer is your power. If you don't pray, you won't make it. And declare this over and over again. And we will remember that we are God's wisdom. And we are serving notice that the spiritual forces and the evil and that serpent, their time is short because Jesus is alive and we are alive. God bless you. Have a great day.